Man, it's so good to be back here um, after a very rare snow day. I mean, we, we've had, I think, one snow day in our entire church history, but Michigan winter has asserted itself here. And, uh, but man, it's good to be back together. I love this time of the year. There's nothing else to do in West Michigan but come to church. So everybody just kind of crowds in and all. We're tired of snow days. We're tired of being stuck in our homes. We need to get out and see people and worship together with the family of God. And so that is a very sweet thing. And so I enjoy that very much. And I am just so pumped because we are starting a new sermon series um, on the one another's of the New Testament that I'm calling Gospel Culture. And so uh, we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks talking about what it looks like to be forming a gospel culture. So if you're new, what a wonderful opportunity to figure out what this church is all about, the kind of culture we're trying to form here uh, and want to see happen. The one another's come from the Greek word alelon, which occurs in the New Testament about 100 times, about 57 uh, of those references are commands given to Christians about their life together, about what we might call today community. And so I have this infographic up there on the board there that might give you a little bit of a spectrum of what these one another's uh, have uh, to do with. Loving one another, forgiving one another, welcoming one another, honoring one another. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And we see these scattered throughout the different letters of the New Testament as a way for the church to live out uh, the mandate that they have uh, together. We're not going to cover all the one another's, but hopefully enough for you to catch the vision for the kind of community we see in the New Testament. And I think as you read over that list, it's a pretty compelling kind of community. Like if we actually treated each other that way, if we actually lived that kind of life out together, I am convinced, right, it would be dramatically compelling. People would want to be a part of this uh, community. Uh, these one another's, I think, as we're going to see, I think, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, are deeply shaped by the gospel. Jesus' love shapes the way we love one another. Jesus' forgiveness shapes the way we forgive one another. Jesus' welcome shapes the way we welcome one another. And even when that isn't explicit, which many times it is, like in our text today, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. I think it's implicit. We see behind these different commands are an opportunity to live out uh, the, the gospel the way God has called us uh, to do so. So I'm stealing the title, Gospel Culture, from Ray Orland, a retired pastor of Emmanuel Church, a sister church of ours in Nashville. He loves to talk about how the gospel can so shape a community that people can tangibly see and experience more of the beauty of Jesus. So that's one of my hopes for this series, that as we live these one another's out, people will actually get to see and experience what it's like to be loved, just a little glimpse of what it's like to be loved by Jesus, be welcomed by Jesus, experience his forgiveness, his grace in our lives. Uh, there are a lot of churches, right, that look right on paper, their doctrine checks all the boxes, but there's something lacking in the love, right, and the care and the grace they have for one another. It's like the implications of the gospel haven't really quite permeated the life of the church, haven't really sunk into the life of the church. And there are, of course, other churches that are really nice and friendly, but don't seem to have any doctrinal substance, don't seem to be really firmly rooted in the Bible. They're kind of just jellyfish, you know, very nice and loving, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of substance, right? Gospel culture pulls together both 
deep biblical truths and substance with a genuine sense to actually live those out in a community, to see those fleshed out uh, among us. There are a few reasons I think this series is both urgent and important for us this morning, why we should spend a couple of months uh, digging into it. First, in a church, uh, first, in a culture like Grand Rapids, there are a lot of people, right, who've been exposed to, you know, what I would describe as cultural Christianity, right? They grew up in it, you know, they got kind of a watered-down version of Christianity. You know, they could basically tell you a few things. They know the Sunday school answer is Jesus, but like, you know, if you go too much deeper than that, they don't really know, or maybe worse, right, they, they've been in a church culture that was toxic or dysfunctional or, or experienced church hurt in that, and so people living in a culture like Grand Rapids are very easily inoculated to the gospel, right? They heard just enough to know, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I had bad experience with these people. People treated me wrong. They didn't answer questions that I had. They were just jerks. They were judgmental. They're intolerant. Um, you, you, you go on to the list. And so people are just like, hey, been there, done that Christianity t-shirt. I'm done with it. And so just wash their hands of it. And so many people, I think, in our culture are there because they think they've experienced Christianity, but haven't really gotten a sense of it. A gospel culture helps demonstrate what a healthy Christian church should actually look and feel like when you go into one. There should be something about God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy that's just tangible, right? When you walk in the door, people are not judging you. People are not condemning you. People are not really, you know, people are not intolerant or prejudiced against you, those sorts of things. There should be something of the love of God that's just compelling. There should be joy in our midst um, that would draw people in, people with questions and doubts and church hurt and all of those things, right? A gospel culture helps people to actually get to experience that sort of thing. The second, coming out of COVID, the U.S. has experienced what the United States U.S. Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murthy has called an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, an epidemic of loneliness. We're more connected than ever digitally, but our culture is more isolated than ever socially. Vivek Murthy explains it this way, and I thought this was very poignant in his description of loneliness. He said, loneliness is the subjective feeling that you're lacking the social connections you need. It can feel like being stranded abandoned or cut off from the people with whom you belong, even if you're surrounded by other people. What's missing when you're lonely is the feeling of closeness, trust, and the affection of genuine friends, loved ones, and community. I don't know if that that definition resonates with any of you, but addressing this epidemic of loneliness is one of uh, the Surgeon General's key objectives that I am convinced it should be on the heart of the church, right? As we live in a culture where people are increasingly just disconnected, don't have the support that they need, don't have the people around them, what a beautiful opportunity for the church to be able to provide that support in a very digitally connected culture, but so many ways disconnected. I'm hoping this series helps lays some foundations for healthy community that will welcome new people in, build up the people that are already here in their faith, and even develop the relational capital to be able to reach out to others in our cities. This is going to be one of my more practical uh, series, lots of opportunities for us to actually live out the one another's of the New Testament. So you guys know how much of a theological nerd I am and how much I love digging into that. This is going to be one of the more practical series where we're just like, hey, let's just, these are some practices we can all live into, lean into, um, 
that you could practice right after church. There'll be a wonderful opportunity. So this morning, I want to start with Romans 15, 17, which we already read in our scripture reading. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, if you have another translation, it might say, accept one another um, as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. Or it might say, receive one another as Christ has received you for the glory of God. There's a little bit of different uh, semantic range there in terms of welcome or acceptance or just receiving one another, but, but the same basic idea. And this seems like a good place to start a series because entrance into any community begins with a welcome, right? Begins with receiving people in. Paul wants the church in Rome to excel at welcoming, and I want our church to excel at extending the welcome of Jesus And of course, on the flip side, I'd say nothing is quite as painful as rejection or exclusion to feel like you are on the outside, that you don't belong. I think some of my worst memories, right, are those awkward times in middle school or high school where you feel like, man, I don't belong. I don't fit in here. And like nothing could be more painful than than that kind of experience. And so uh, as a pastor, right, I love hearing stories of people that are welcomed into the life of our church and get invited out to to dinner or, you know, they have lunch and coffee and just make immediate relationships. And, and nothing is quite so sad for me. It's like people that come and they're like, nobody talked to me. Nobody greeted me. Nobody asked how I was doing. And uh, that kind of breaks my heart as a pastor. And so what a wonderful opportunity, right, for us to be uh, a more welcoming church. So my big idea for this morning is welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm just going to take the text as my big idea because it speaks for itself. And there's a whole sermon, believe it or not, in this one verse that I want to unpack this morning. I want to look at three elements of the welcome that we have here. I want to look at the meaning of the welcome. I want to look at the messiness of the welcome. And then finally, I want to look at the motivation. So keeping it all M's here, the meaning, messiness, and uh, motivation. And let me just, and my aim for this morning's sermon is that we would increasingly become a welcoming church, right? I think we, we've taken some steps to be welcoming, to try to welcome people in, but that we'd increasingly become a more welcoming church. So let's pray this morning as we dive in to God's word. Father, uh, it's easy for us, I think, that have been here a while, uh, have connections and have experienced what it's like to be part of a church family, uh, to take that for granted, to just kind of settle in for to find our people and just kind of uh, uh, be content with that, God. But I pray uh, that we as a church would just have our eyes open uh, for those in need of the welcome of Jesus, that we would constantly be on the lookout for those that need to be plugged in, that we as a church would grow uh, at just the ability to welcome people in, get them connected into the life of the church, and that they'd experience um, yeah, not just our welcome, but more profoundly, even the welcome of Jesus and the invitation he gives to a life with him and then a life with his body, the church. So would you help us by your grace to live into that value, into that uh, virtue today of welcoming one another well? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, so let's start with the meaning of welcome, right? Welcome is something that is universal, right? But that looks different in many different cultures, right? In some cultures, you just show up and people welcome you, right? No matter what's going on, they just drop everything and it's a party. Um, And then in other cultures like ours, you have to plan weeks in advance, schedule an appointment, send out a Google invite, prepare all this 
food so you can entertain people in a remarkable way, right? It depends on the culture you, you find yourself in, right? What kind of welcome you're going to receive. Some cultures are very affectionate, right? If you, if you visit, you will almost certainly get a hug and a kiss. There will be much excitement. There will be much <laughs> much uh, emotion that will be involved in that greeting. And then other cultures, more like our Northern European, when you're like, is anyone even happy to see me here? They just might be an eyebrow might be raised or a, hi, glad you're here. <laughs> uh, but, but depending on your culture, right? If you've traveled to, to Latin America or, you know, Italy or somewhere where it's warmer climates and, you know, they're just personalities are just warm and welcoming and you're like, if you meet like a Brazilian, like you've got a friend for life. I mean, those people are just so incredibly warm and uh, welcoming, right? So there's a cultural dynamic that's at play here when we think about welcome. What we might think might be welcoming to other people might not be as particularly welcoming, right? We welcome people in a lot of different ways too, right? We welcome people into our lives um, just by giving them an opportunity to know what, what our lives are like. We welcome people into our homes sometimes, right? That would be a fairly intimate sort of thing in our culture. Welcome people into our friend circles, like a new person. We're like, are we going to let them in to our group of people and our Friends, we might welcome people into our school, right, as new people come and, and visit or into our workplaces. And so we have lots of opportunities. Uh, and maybe we're going to really let people into our hearts, like what we're actually thinking and feeling. And um, that's a pretty vulnerable thing, right, to be able to do. So, so welcome extends in a lot of different directions. And welcome is something, as I've suggested, that is greatly shaped by our culture. And we aren't even always aware of it. And so my few opportunities to travel overseas have been a wonderful open awakening to me that people do things differently in different cultures. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, my wife and I have experienced um, less being global travelers, but welcoming in a lot of kids from Central America over the last couple of years through foster care. Uh, we've been able to welcome lots of people from different countries, from Guatemala or Honduras or Mexico, uh, and experience, or Somalia, and experience what it's like to experience different cultures, how they receive welcome and care and love. And, and that's been incredibly enriching to us. Like if you've traveled the world, right, maybe you've experienced some of that those different welcomes that you can have around the world. Uh, in the first century, the Greco-Roman world that Paul was living in, in Romans, your welcome had a lot to do with your place in society. And so I've got a little a slide there, I believe, on just a little bit of, give you a little uh, insight into the social classes in Rome. So if you were like, you know, connected in Rome, if you were part of Roman culture, society, if you were obviously Caesar's household, you were part of like a Roman citizen, and particularly if you were a man, life was very good for you, right? In the Roman culture, right? You were welcomed by everyone, right? You had a role in government and society and culture. You had certain rights to trial. Uh, you had rights to... Uh, all the really pretty much to be welcomed into any of the cultural points of Roman society, all the wealth that it afforded, all of the opportunities. If you were a woman in Roman culture, you were in the same class and so you could run in the same circles, but there were strict rules for like how you could interact financially or with government or different rights. Like, like the rules were different if you were a woman in Roman culture, right? This was very much of a man's world that you were living in. If you were a kid, you also, you're in the same class 
But like you also, your life was far more limited. And that's if you're a Roman citizen, which was a really incredible thing. If you weren't a Roman citizen, if you were like just a common laborer, a slave, uh, someone that the Romans had conquered, right? You didn't have any human rights, right? You didn't have any of the opportunities for a fair trial. You didn't have any opportunity to be involved with government. Like your survival was much more precarious, particularly if you were a slave or a servant. Your rights were incredibly limited, right? Your welcome was not there. You were excluded from so many parts of society. And then along comes Paul writing to house churches in the, Rome, in the heart of the Roman Empire, at Rome itself, right in the capital city. And Paul instructs this church in Rome to welcome Christians from all different social strata into the life of the church on equal terms because of Jesus. And that was, as you might expect, fairly revolutionary for a radically hierarchical Roman culture, right? Where, where certain classes didn't associate with each other. Men and women didn't associate with one another. Jews and Gentiles didn't associate with each other. In that kind of culture, Paul is like, I want you to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Pretty revolutionary, right? It was a it was an invitation that stretched across different social, gender, ethnic, and economic divides. And you can see this particularly if you flip over to Romans 16 in the greetings at the end of the letter. Paul uh, walks his way through thanking all of these people that he's in ministry with, that he's in partnership, that are part of this new church that is forming here in Rome. And it's incredible the diversity of this list of people that Paul is now associating with, that he has fellowship with, that he's welcomed in. You can see Romans and Jews, men and women, wealthy landowners and servants, patrons and peasants. There's even a city treasurer mentioned who's associating with a slave. And so the gospel has come in, reshaped the social relationships in the Greco-Roman world. Paul is changing the game on what society looks like. Who should get welcome? In his culture, if you're a man, you got welcome. If you're a Roman citizen, you got welcome. If you were the head of the family, right, that's where all the honor, that's where the welcome went. If you weren't in those treasured categories, right? There was exclusion, right? There were things you could not participate in, that you could not be involved in. And all of a sudden, the church is extending this welcome to slaves, to Jews, to Gentiles, to women and men. Everyone's participating together in this new family of God. It was a beautiful and messy thing, as you might expect. Uh, back in Romans 14, if you flip back a chapter, Paul further challenges the social order by instructing the church to welcome the weaker brother. So if you see in chapter 14, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome him or accept him into the life of the church. In that culture, you welcome people with similar or stronger social standing because that would elevate your social standing, right? It makes sense, right? You invite people over that are richer, that have good connections, that have friends, that can do things for you. That's the kind of person you want in your life, right? You want to make connections. We do that today, right? We go, that person's attractive. That person's, you know, they, they have connections. That person is really smart and they're going to help me with my homework. That person, right, in my job could help me move up to the next ladder in the company. And, that, and that's how people in ancient times and to maybe a little lesser extent people today, we, we want to create relationships with people stronger, with more advantages, with more privilege than us. And Paul flips this entirely on his head by saying, no, I want you to welcome people, not for what they can do for you, but welcome people the way Christ has welcomed you. 
welcome people in the way that Christ has invited you into his family, right? Not to get something, but to give something of the benefits you've already received. Uh, Paul also extends this welcome beyond uh, simply receiving or accepting weaker brothers among us, but, but he invites uh, people into partnership in ministry and mission together. Uh, notice some of the language here in Acts 18.27, Paul told the church in Achaia to welcome Apollos into the ministry. In Colossians, Paul instructed his readers to welcome Aristarchus and Mark into the ministry that's happening in Colossae. In Romans 16.1 through 2, and so you flip again, Romans 16 has lots of this language of welcome in it, uh, this welcome may extend not just to men, but also to women, right? right? Men and women are locking arms in partnership for the gospel. And so we in Romans 16, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant or a deacon of the church at St. Cry, that you welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well, right? And so you see this invitation is about ministry mission. Welcome these people that are a part of God's kingdom work. And finally, in 3 John 1.10, John rebukes Diotrephes for not welcoming brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of his mission. He's saying, guys, what are you doing? Like you're not welcoming in brothers and sisters who are part of the work, part of this missions team moving the gospel forward. They're excluding people. And John calls them out publicly to the entire church in a letter. Lastly, I want you to see that a warm welcome includes a warm greeting. I, I love this part personally, probably because it makes me uncomfortable mostly, but in four different letters, Paul instructed his readers to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? It's not just one time, it's in four different letters. Peter says the same thing in one of his letters, um, Fitting this warm Mediterranean climate, right? There's a warm welcome. There's a warm greeting. When you see someone, Paul's like, don't just say hi. Greet them with a kiss. <laughs> That's what you do. And I was talking uh, with Sebastian a little bit this week. He's like, man, when I went back to Mexico, people still greet one another with a kiss. That's just very traditional, a kiss on the cheek. Like, that's just what you do. If you've got a, other parts of the world today, right? That's the kind of welcome you are going to receive. And I think it's significant, right? It's not just a command to get along, but to greet each other with genuine warmth and affection, right? I, I just think that's something that's very much a part of what it means to welcome people, right? There's a genuine element of, you know, we need to extend that, whatever that looks like in our cultural, the appropriate context today, that there's a genuine warmth to it. So don't go up, kiss somebody on the lips or something. That would be highly offensive in our culture today, but like, you know, show some affection. You know, that's a, that's a good thing in an appropriate and safe way and whatnot. Maybe ask somebody before you hug them. Some of us are from the East Coast and might be freaked out a little bit by being hugged or something. But, you know, find a way to show love to each other. So all this helps us get at least a glimpse into the welcome that Paul has in mind. It's, the welcome is, first of all, to one another, and so that's important, right? It's a welcome to Christians, right? First and foremost, our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Paul wants us to welcome one another. As you see brothers and sisters that are here, or people that are visiting, or people that are moved in from another state, like, we're to welcome those people as Christ has welcomed us. And of course, there's an opportunity for us to welcome others as well. But, but Paul's concern here is particularly in our community for Christians, we should learn how to love each other and welcome each other well. Uh, we're to welcome people in our homes, our lives. Um, that welcome is supposed to cut across, right? Uh, social classes, gender, race, ethnicity, right? We, we, we should be able to go there, right? 
We should be able to cross those boundaries because of what we have in common together, which is Jesus. Um, and it's a welcome to ministry and mission. We need each other. You know, one pastor won't do it, <laughs> or a couple of elders, or some deacons, right? We all need to be involved in the mission together. And of course, it's a welcome characterized by warmth and affection. So I just think that's a wonderful opportunity for us as a church to just be challenged by this call to welcome one another, right? We have a wonderful opportunity to extend that invitation to new people. And being in the city of Grand Rapids, right, being in a very transient area, we've had lots of opportunities to welcome new people, right? There are college students every year that start school and are like, I moved from somewhere, I'm looking for a church home, looking for a church family, right? There are people that are moving to Grand Rapids from other parts of the country, transplants like myself, that ended up in this very cold very overcast <laughs> climate, but have found some warm relationships here. And we have an opportunity to do that, right? There are people that are moving up, you know, because their, their grandkids are here in town. And so they're like, we're, we're moving, right? The weather is not the draw, but, you know, there's family here. And so uh, for whatever reason, whatever brought you to Redemption City, right, we have opportunities here to extend that welcome of Jesus, to learn how to do that well uh, together. Now, first glance, this command seems pretty straightforward, right? Welcome one another. We, we can do that, right? But digging into the context helps us see a little bit, I think, of the messiness of what this might actually look like in practice, right? Because if you go back to our Greco-Roman world, you can imagine how this could get a little bit awkward, right? Here you have all these different classes mixing together. They're not used to interacting with each other. And like, this could be weird. So imagine, right, in a house church, you have a master and a slave are meeting together in small group together. And they're like, you know, as equals before Christ, studying the scriptures, praying together. Like, that would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd probably find it awkward if your boss was in your small group or whatever from work. You'd be like, this is a little weird. Yeah, that was even weirder, right? Um, imagine, you know, Jews and Gentiles sharing a meal together. Maybe nice, some ham or bacon or something. I don't know. But like that could get awkward, right? For, for people with different food and eating habits there, men and women trying to navigate gospel partnership in a society with very strict gender boundaries that were in place, right? That would be awkward. That'd be difficult. So there was, this is the beauty, right, of this new church, right? All these different people coming together in Christ, but also the challenge. And the New Testament makes no effort to hide the messiness of this. I love this about the Bible. You know, people act like the Bible is like this list of morals and good characters. And they're like, well, actually, man, you read some of the stories in here. You're like, man, what a mess. These people had all kinds of problems, uh, which is refreshing to me because they're human, right? We see the weaknesses and the struggles. So Acts 6 famously shows the tension between the Jewish widows and the Grecian widows. The, the Jewish widows, of course, they're living in Jerusalem. They're Jews. They're getting taken care of. The Grecian widows, because they're Greek, are getting excluded from the distribution of food. They're not being welcomed in to the community in the same way. And so the church has to figure out a way to deal with that. They're like, we're not welcoming these women who are in deep need, but they're a different culture. And so we don't really know how to welcome them in. Perhaps most the famous illustration of the dysfunction comes in Galatians 2. Peter, who had been welcoming Gentiles into his home, had been eating with them, feasting with them, having great relationships. You know, some Jews come from Jerusalem, like, what are you doing eating with these Gentiles? Like, and, he, and he pulls back and he starts excluding those people. And Paul just calls him out. And he's like, man, you were not living in line with the gospel, just rebukes him for failing to extend the welcome 
of Jesus. So, so you can imagine today, this could be difficult, right? There could be some challenges. So what are some of the challenges for us today? I've got a list of seven, maybe for you just to consider and think about. First of all, we are too busy to have people over, to welcome people into our lives. There's just too much on our plate. School, sports, college, jobs, young children, like our lives are just too full, right? We just don't have any space to welcome any more people in. And that, that, the struggle is real. I, I, I acknowledge that. But I think that's part of it, our cultural climate today. Like we, just, we just don't have a lot of space for people in our lives. And I think that's something we need to be deeply uh, convicted of, challenged of, and think about. How do we, how do we make space for each other? Because that's a big thing. Um, we really value our privacy. I mean, this is probably something unique to our culture today. Certainly not a challenge in Paul's day. Um, but right, radical individualism has meant, man, we like to have our own time, our own space, our own house. I mean, in a Greco-Roman culture, you know, you had all these generations living together. You had servants, slaves. You know, there's just tons of people all crammed together into a house. Today, we're like, nope, got my house, got my car. You know, at the end of the day, I drive in, you know, close the drawbridge, <laughs> shut the door, turn on the TV, and I'm just going to veg for a couple of hours, binge, some, binge me some uh, Netflix and... Uh, whatever, eat, a, eat some chunky monkey. I don't know, whatever people do today like that. But we, privacy, right, can be a real issue for us. We just, you know, we really struggle to figure out how to let people into our actual lives. Um, maybe we find our people, right? And we're like, all right, I'm done. All those spaces in my life are filled up. <laughs> Sorry, no room for new people. And so, I mean, that's a reality too. And we have a limited amount of friends that we can create and make, but, but it's a challenge. Uh, maybe this one's maybe a little more, uh, difficult. We're suspicious of people who are different from us, right? That's a real thing, right? People of different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And before we get on our high horse about how enlightened we are today and, you know, how we've destroyed all the social barriers, all you have to do is look down to like the Jim Crow South, just a generation or two ago. I think I have a picture here um, that, that just is, is shocking to us, I think, today. But this is something that, you know, our parents or grandparents would have been very familiar with if they lived in the South. You know, white water fountains, black water fountains. Like that was a, a genuine reality in our culture, the way we were building. Or if you're in the Southwest, right, we serve whites only, right? No Spanish or Mexicans, right? That, that's just the world, right, that, that's not too far away from our own in terms of the ways maybe we draw some of those boundaries in our own, because people are different and we're suspicious of them. So that's something we've just got to be aware of. Um, maybe we've been hurt or rejected, so we keep people at a distance, right? We build walls, we exclude people. We're like, man, relationships are just too hard, right? I can't start over. It's too difficult. Um, uh, a theme I've heard quite a bit at our church is we made good friends, they left, and it's hard to start over, right? Living in this transient culture, you build these great relationships and then that person takes a job halfway across the country or they graduate college and they move and you know, you're like, man, I just, I just, it's so hard to start over. And then maybe a last one, right? Some of us like are, are introverts, right? And we're just kind of like, you know, greeting people, going up and introducing ourselves, you know, welcoming people, asking questions is terrifying, right? We're like, I don't want to do that. Could somebody please welcome me, invite me, uh, somebody draw me out? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful, right? So, so we have some of these challenges, I think, to extending the welcome of Jesus in our lives. So, so how do we address this challenge? Now, we can talk, there are a lot of practical ways we need to just be thinking about cultivating time and space 
for other people in our lives. But I want to just press in a little bit with the challenge that Paul gives here in his welcome by way of motivation. And that motivation is really the gospel, right? He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, now how has Christ welcomed us? What did we have to bring to the table to receive Christ's Welcome, right? Where did we have to go? What did we have to do? What price did we have to pay to achieve our admission into that society? Right? What distance did we have to go? You know, what what hurdles did we have to jump and overcome? None, right? (laughs) Jesus paid it all, right? Jesus came and got us. Jesus extended this royal welcome out to us. He paid it all, so we we get it all. We get a new relationship with him. He laid down his life for us, right? He died on the cross for our sins in our place. So we get all of his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. We get to be part of this new family of God. Like, it's incredible, isn't it? That's, that is Christians, the kind of welcome we received. Whether we were worthy or not, whether we were enemies of God or not, whether we were stuck in sin or not, whether we were whatever pit we were in at the time, Jesus welcomes us in and then begins to help grow us and mature us and actually welcome us to be a part of a family. Perhaps nowhere is this more beautifully displayed than in a parable of the prodigal son, right? Where you have this son who just runs off. And, and if you're a Christian, right, you know the story. It's one of the best stories in, it's one of the best stories, period. I mean, what other stories have you ever heard where someone who squanders all, they demand their father's inheritance, run off and squander it in wild living and with prostitutes. And this person coming to their senses finally in a foreign land uh, says like, why, why am I doing this here? Why am I living off of pig slops in a foreign country? I'm going to go back. I'm going to apologize to my father. And what does the father do? What kind of welcome does he extend? This very like, man, well, you're going to be paying off that loan for the next, <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> you're going to grovel. You're going to beg. You're going to plead. No, man, when, when the father sees this son covered in pig slops, you know, kind of, kind of very timidly walking his way home, about to apologize, he just runs to him, throws his arms around him like it's an incredible scene. Like he throws a robe on him. He puts sandals on his fingers, a ring on his finger. He kills the fattened calf and has a massive celebration. Man, there is no greater welcome that I know of anywhere in, in literature, in history, in real life uh, to somebody that didn't deserve it, that didn't, wasn't supposed to receive it all because of grace, all because of the lavish mercy of our Father in heaven. That's the model for our welcome, right? That's the kind of welcome we're invited to extend to others because of what Jesus has done for us. And, and I love how that invitation is directly given to us on Jesus' lips in Matthew uh, chapter 11. It's one of my <clears throat> absolute favorite, favorite texts and one we, we quote here often because I think it resonates with so many I hear Jesus' invitation here in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What, what a beautiful invitation 
from our Savior into a very different kind uh, of lifestyle. We used to uh, start each of our gatherings with, with this uh, call to worship that went along with this text uh, from Ray Ortland uh, down in Nashville. He said, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wider doors with a welcome from Jesus, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, and the friend of sinners. Man, I, I love that call to worship because it just showcases the welcoming heart of God to us, right? And when you've been welcomed like that, no matter what you've done, whatever your background, whatever your, your past, whatever your sins, struggles, questions, doubts, man, you experience that kind of welcome. You want to extend it to others, right? You want other people to get that kind of welcome in their lives, to know that they can have a relationship with the God of the universe and be welcomed into a family that also shows that kind of love and that kind of warmth and that kind of welcome. It is a profoundly transforming thing. And I think the reverse is true too. If you haven't experienced that welcome from Jesus, right, deep in your own heart, right, it's going to be harder. That's going to short circuit your efforts, right, to, to introduce that welcome to others. It's going to, it's going to allow you to exclude other people. It's going to allow you to kind of hide from other people. It's going to allow you to just continue living an isolated kind of life, just kind of coping or making your way through life. But, but this welcome, it just draws us in. And, and I love how, how Paul says it here back in Romans fifteen seven. He says, welcome one another, right? as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God, right? This is God's glory to welcome prodigals home. It's the glory of his grace. It's his glory of his grace when the lost are found, when orphans come home, when the lonely find community, when vulnerable find support, right? God gets glory. God looks really good, right? When people are able to receive his goodness and his grace and kindness and be welcomed in, right? That is the glory of God, right? To display that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of mercy to us. The gospel just profoundly shapes Paul's vision for welcoming one another. We see that all the way in Romans 14 uh, with the welcome of the weaker brother. We see that in Romans 15 as we're just to welcome all of us, brothers and sisters, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free men, women. We see that in Romans 16 as it just bridges the huge gaps between Jews and Gentiles. I wish I could just spend some time just cruising all the way through the final chapters of Romans to show how this, this welcome is foundational to so much of what Paul is teaching. But let me give you just a few, cap, a few caveats as, I'm, as I am landing the plane here. Doesn't mean that every person needs to be your best friend. I think that's probably true. Doesn't mean that every season of life is one in which you can include everyone in your life. So, so, so don't hear me just trying to put a burden on you of like, we need to welcome everybody. We need to be friends with everybody, uh, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean you need to welcome every ideology or philosophy or identity, right? The welcome of Jesus has to align with the teaching of Jesus, right? Where the welcome we offer is for one another. It's for the the people God has brought into our lives who are committed to following him and doing what he says. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy necessarily. And it also doesn't mean it's going to be hard. You could have a lot of fun welcoming new people into your life. It will almost certainly be beautiful and messy at the same time. 
But it does mean the church is always trying to make space to welcome those who are wandering, uh, for prodigals looking to come home. We're always trying to create context for hurting people to heal. Um, I love uh, one of my uh, classic quotes here. Um, I'll give this from Tim Keller. The church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital for broken sinners, right? We're here to welcome people in to a space of healing and from any of the hurts and recovery that people have in their lives. We're trying to create context for lonely people to feel known and loved. We're trying to create space for rejected and excluded people to find acceptance and welcome in Jesus' name. So what might that look like practically for us as a church to begin to be increasingly a more welcoming church? Uh, First of all, I encourage you to take our Sunday gatherings seriously, right? This is the one opportunity where the most of us get to see each other face-to-face, right? This is a wonderful opportunity for us to be greeting one another. Obviously, come early if you can, right? That's when all the new people are here. <laughs> They're all, they don't realize that everyone else shows up at 10.05, 10, 10.10, 10.15, 10.30. <laughs> you know, you come early and you can welcome all the guests that are like, hey, where is everybody at this church here? That would be wonderful. And join the greeting team. It's, we do have a few greeting team, but honestly, at our church, I just feel like everyone should be a part of the greeting team. We should all have that level of welcome. We do a very intentional thing in the middle of our gathering, too, for all those that showed up late. You know, we have a greeting time right before the announcements, right? So if you do show up at 1020, you still get welcomed. You still get greeted. And if you're new, we hope, you know, someone will say hi to you before you run out the door at the end, you know, uh, but that's an opportunity, right? And some of my favorite testimonies of how people got connected and built relationships at that time, the worst things that I ever hear are people like, nobody talked to me. And I had to sit there for five minutes, just looking around awkwardly. I'm like, no, just makes me want to die here. But no, it's terrible, right? Be intentional with that time. It's an opportunity to go. Um, You can catch up with friends later. You'll get to see them, but to see uh, new people be very eyes open, intentionally looking around for people that are new. Uh, Second, people invite people out into your life, right? Take them out to lunch, take them to coffee, invite them into your home, welcome them to your community, right? We we're, we love doing community here at Redemption City Church at different homes, sharing meals together. Uh, it's in just an immediate entry point into the life of our church, and we want people to experience that welcome and invitation and be able to experience life um, together. I don't know how many stories I have of people that got invited out to lunch right after church or, or to coffee or to community and just made an immediate connection here in the life of our church. I mean, that is a beautiful It's a powerful thing. So keep doing that, Redemption City, and keep doing it. Well, third, welcome people into the rhythms of your life, right? Welcome people in to what you're... I don't think you need to invent a new thing, like welcome as a new category in your life. Man, if you love to go skiing like I do, invite some people to go skiing with you. If you love to play golf, which John Holderbaum does, go, go, go play golf, right? You know, with somebody. If you're going to the gym, invite somebody along with you. I mean, I heard there's a big football game today uh, going on. Somebody told me, that those Detroit Lions are playing, invite some people over to your house and have a big party, you know? That would be great. Invite people into what's already happening in your life. You got a home project you got to tackle and you have no idea what you're doing, like me? Invite somebody who's handy over, right, to help you and do that work together. It's, it's wonderful 
sort of thing. And then finally, just have your eyes open for people in need of the welcome of Jesus around you, in your school, on your workplace, in your neighborhood. This isn't just like a Sunday morning sort of thing. Like as followers of Jesus, we increasingly become people that just display the welcome of Jesus to the people around us so they experience it and see it and feel it in their lives. I want to close with a quote from from Dane Ortland in his uh, modern classic, Gentle and Lowly, uh, because he just speaks to the heart of Jesus, his welcoming heart for us. He says, let Jesus draw you in through the loveliness of his heart. It is a heart that walks us into the bright meadow of the felt love of God. It's a heart that drew the despised and forsaken to his feet in self-abandoning hope. It's a heart of perfect balance and proportion, never overreacting, never excusing, never lashing out. When you come to Christ, we are startled by the beauty of his welcoming heart. It's a heart that throbs with desire for the destitute. It's a heart that floods the suffering with a deep solace of shared solidarity in that suffering. It's a heart that is gentle and lowly. So let the heart of Jesus be something that it's not only gentle towards you, but lovely to you. Man, that our church would just have that welcoming heart of Jesus and that people would experience it through us, through the welcome that we offer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his amazing welcome to us. We thank you for stories like the prodigal son that just bring it to life for us in real time, uh, what that welcome looks like. And we thank you for the welcome that each of us has received in our own lives, the welcome we get to offer uh, to others. Would you just make us increasingly a church that is welcoming, that's, that's just so shaped by the welcome of Jesus, by his love for us, the way he extends it to us, his heart for us, that we can't help but extending that same love to others. Uh, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So each week here at Redemption City Church, we set aside time to share 